On this week's episode, we discuss three strategies to avoid panic selling for fitness professionals. The first thing we'll talk about is what is the efficiency frontier and how it can help you avoid scams. And we'll dive into the three action steps that you can take in a market downturn. And lastly, the investment strategy that most big firms will never help you with. So if this episode brings you value or helped you with your finances, please do me a favor, share it, tag me if you could in Instagram, it's at the Pat Darby. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Build Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs build wealth by saving taxes and growing their money. Each episode will break down different strategies in the areas of business, tax, and retirement planning specifically for your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making any changes to your financial or tax situation. Now here's your host, certified financial planner and tax advisor, Pat Darby. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I think today's show is going to be super impactful. And depending on when you listen to it, it may be uh, more or less relevant. But we're going to talk about, as I'm recording this, this is mid-July of 2022, the market's in, I'm not going to say free fall, that's the wrong term, but we're in a pullback for the last six months. So I want to go over three strategies that, investment strategies, to other than panicking, because panicking can be one of the worst mistakes you can make. And that basically gets into the concept of that I did not invent. The concept uh, was popularized in the financial services industry by Carl Richards, whose book, I believe, is called uh, Behavior Gap. And it's an interesting concept, which everyone's known about, but I guess there's never been a name put to it. Basically, it's how much an investment historically returns, like if, if you were tracking, doesn't matter, a stock or ETF. If it historically returned over the last 10 years, again, we're not talking about forecasting, like if it actually returned over the last 10 years, an average rate of return of 10%, let's say, and you've been holding that same investment and maybe you've tried to time the market a little bit and like when you're nervous, you pull out, when the market's doing well, maybe you buy more because now your confidence is higher, but you're buying towards the top, whatever the case may be your invest average investment return over that same 10-year period might be 7%. And that 3% difference, he termed the behavior gap because it was your own behaviors, your human emotions that got in the way of tracking the actual return. So the purpose of this is to talk about three strategies, you know, especially because I think a lot of people listening to this, if you're a fitness entrepreneur, you probably are the type of person who's a little more type A, you would rather take action on something. And here's some strategies that you could take action on um, that may be more beneficial to you than panicking and making more emotional-based decisions. Um, so before we dive in, let me make sure I'm, I'm crystal clear that uh, in terms of a disclaimer, uh, this is not going to be investment advice for you. This is completely educational. Uh, there, this nothing that I mentioned today is a portfolio or a stock or any type of investment recommendation. Any references made will be purely educational. Uh, 
again, if you want to talk about your specific situation, you should work with a qualified financial professional, a qualified tax professional as well. We're going to get into some tax strategies in this. So please, anything I've mentioned today, this is not a, an investment advice. I'm not giving you a stock or an ETF or anything like that to pick. So anything, I'm going to try my best to avoid using any specific uh, like ticker symbols or anything like that because I don't want this to be specific advice. I want the strategies to be something you consider, not any buy or sell recommendations. Because again, that's not the purpose of this, this podcast. So again, I can't emphasize enough, purely educational. Talk to a qualified financial planner, financial advisor, tax advisor before you make any changes to your portfolio or any of your financial situations. Okay. So that being said, the three things that that you want to look at the first one is you want to well let me let me take a step backwards because before we get into the strategies no sorry let me let me go into the first one first and, and then I'll sort of back into what is the overarching thing you need to understand because when you're looking at your portfolio the best way that I can describe it is the advice that you would give to, well, at least the advice I think you would give to a lot of your clients is like, we know things are going to go off tracks. When it comes to investing, we know, like, especially if you're listening to this and you're in your 20s or 30s, it is a fact that we're you are going to see multiple economic downturns in your lifetime. Actually, so when you look at any investment, it's not an if it goes down, it's a when and how much and why, but it's it's an a when. So we should look at all the investments as a certainty that there will be negative outcomes at some point. So that being said, you should have a crystal clear understanding of the risks inside of your investment strategy. So if you need to go back, episode 37, I outlined like in a, in a financial plan, like you pick what your goals are. But in episode 37, we go into how you start allocating and making contributions. So if you have investments that you don't understand or they're outside of your risk profile, and maybe you're learning that now because you maybe didn't thoroughly understand what the risks were in, in your investment or your portfolio or whatever it is, then this might be a time where you actually assess that with, either with yourself or with a professional, whatever it is. But you might have learned now that you didn't have the the risk tolerance for what you're in. That's a separate issue because like all this, like I'm always looking at these investment decisions through the lens of what we're trying to accomplish. So if we're trying to accomplish a goal in one year, in five years, in 50 years, you know, that's, that's a different strategy. And the same thing you would help your, your health and fitness clients with, you know, if you're dieting for a wedding versus trying to have a lifetime transformation, your advice might change a little bit. Um, the amount of restrictions might be higher or lower, especially if your clients are competing, you know, like the amount of restriction and prep versus someone who's looking to make changes over years and keep off the weight or whatever the case or change the lifestyle. So this is an opportunity to assess that. So that kind of backs us into the first one, which is what people talk about all the time. Stay the course slash buy the dip. So when I say buy the dip, I don't like that. I don't like that term per se because, um, like the where we're sitting now, a lot of people think, well, buying the dip is not. We're we're looking at much 
much worse economic conditions coming up. Whether they're right or not, we don't know. Like if you look back to March of 2020, the market dropped like 30% in I think it was 30 days or three weeks. Most people would have not guessed it was going to immediately bounce back. And so the challenge with saying buy the dip and whatnot is like you just don't know. So you could buy the dip and be right. You could buy the dip and be wrong and see it go down again. That's why I really like the term stay the course. So again, like similar to the advice you would give to your, your fitness clients, you come up with your plan in advance. That's again what episode 37 talks about is we know what your business, your fitness business is generating in profit. We know how much we want to keep in the business. We know how much we want to pull out of the business. And obviously there's other income streams that you may have from a spouse or investment assets, whatever it is. But you have a pretty good idea of what your goal is, how much you want to try to put into your investments. So the same way you would say to your clients, like the, the, the things that derail them, like, hey, I'm going to go out to dinner with friends or whatever it is, probably you're talking about pick something on the menu before you get there. Because once you get there, the, you know, the smells and your friends picking things like those emotional decisions could cloud that you were like, oh, I was Kona. Plan to get like a salad with chicken versus you get there and the burger looks amazing and whatever. <laughs> you you guys know that world better than me, but but you get my point. You planned ahead for a reason. Just because you got to the restaurant, it doesn't and everything smells good except for what you should be eating. That's not the emotional reason to abandon the plan. Again, you might know like, okay, things might be a little bit different than being completely disciplined, but that's the point. Like you built a portfolio, you built a strategy and assuming, and again, I really want to emphasize this enough. Like that's why what I said as like a preamble to this and number one are similar. Like if you don't have a plan, if you just randomly pick something because your friend said it was good and now it's not performing like you had thought and maybe you're starting to panic, maybe that isn't the strategy for you. But assuming you've built something with logic, with tied to your goals, then you do want to try to stick to that plan. So whatever you were saying you were going to contribute each month, I would highly recommend you consider doing that. Again, stay the course because timing the market for most people is incredibly difficult. <laughs> Unless you're Nancy Pelosi's husband, it's really hard to time the market without obviously cheating. So, but again, like there's people who will swear by market timing and whatnot. I'm not here to debate them. I don't care. Good for them. But I'll tell you this. For the people listening to this, and I, I'm i a big fan of the advice that Warren Buffett gives, and obviously I've started listening to someone in our industry, like Alex Hermosi, he echoes some, something similar, like you're running a business. So um, the amount of time you take away from your business by trying to actively time the market and whatnot, um, not, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing now what, what I've heard Alex say in like his podcast and whatnot. Um, but other financial people say the same thing. Like when you're working with business owners, you realize how much complexity they have in their life. Adding timing the market with your investments could end up being a mistake. Not one, because it's hard to time the markets. And two, how much time is that taking away from your business and growing your business and getting new clients and servicing your clients, things like that? <coughs> Excuse me. So along with part one, buying a dip, everyone knows that one. The other part portion of this is what a lot of investment people do for you, which is like a rebalancing strategy. So again, you've picked what you want to invest in. 
Now you're just sort of keeping it in line with itself. So some things have grown. If you're diversified in any market downturns, hopefully something in your portfolio is doing well and maybe something isn't. And quite frankly, that's a sign of a diversified portfolio. So for all the people out there that um, they expect their portfolio to always be up in all areas, even though you don't like looking at something that's not doing well, that's really what diversification is. Like if everything's going up, then in theory, <laughs> everything's going to go down too when, when things start to go down. So to be truly diversified, you do want to see some things operating in different directions. Um, but that's point. That's part of staying the course. You're rebalancing. You're continuing to add your contributions. So again, now you're doing you're something active. You're like, all right, I don't know where the bottom is. Most people truly do not know. Um, so you're rebalancing, which is basically like taking some winners, feeding the the losers. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you're young and you're likely actively contributing. That's going to be part of the rebalancing strategy, where you're just making those contributions each month. And then throughout the course of time, it the portfolio should do what what its uh, historic averages have done over you know, 15, 20, 30 year time horizons. Um, inside of that 10 to 15 window, unfortunately, there is a lot of risk there, which is also why you, you will hear financial professionals say like, you don't put your um, down payment money in the stock market because you just don't know like where the market will be in three years and five years. It could easily swing um, away from you. Again, if you're using, if you need that money to be there. Um, so, so that's, that's the main thing. Again, I can't emphasize enough as part of like stay the course that you need to make sure you understand the risk in your portfolio. Like I use technology to help me evaluate the risk in portfolios, like looking at the statistical analysis of the history of all the assets in the portfolio. Um, and again, there's, there's a diversification aspect to that. So if you're familiar with the efficiency frontier, I talked about this on my social media. If you're new to listening, uh, welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, my Instagram is at the Pat Darby. And so I talked about this the other day because there's a lot of crypto uh, Ponzi schemes, I guess, for lack of a better term, being exposed where they're giving interest rates to people um, in hopes that you flood your money in there and they can pay off their actual interest payments to other people. So that... It's hard for me to explain Efficiency Frontier in an audio-only podcast, but essentially the way it works is it's like a it's, – it's an X and Y axis graph that basically shows on the Y axis, which is up and down, it's the amount of return you're going to get. So obviously, the higher it goes, the higher the, re the return. The X axis, which goes left and right, is the risk. So if you can – visualize this on the bottom left is a low amount of return, a low amount of risk. And then on the top right is a tremendous amount of risk and a tremendous amount of return. And then there's like a, a little arc that forms where it's reasonable to take a certain amount of risk to get a certain amount of return. And if you ever look at the graph, it, it curves a little bit strange. And that is due to diversification because modern portfolio theory basically says like if you have two if you have multiple high risk investments meaning high risk high return 
if you blend them together and there's diversification and all these these factors, in theory, you're bringing the risk down while maintaining some of the upside potential. That's the whole purpose of diversified portfolios and things like that. Um, but my point in, in saying that is to revisit the whole purpose of the, the beginning topic, which is if you don't have the portfolio that has the risk tolerance that you're with, you do need to talk to someone if you don't know how to do that yourself, because you want to have a situation where for 20, 30 years, you're comfortable with the risk. So again, I'm not talking about panic selling for people who have a plan. Again, it would be the same way with fitness. Like if you have a plan and you are losing weight and things are going well, but then you hit a plateau or whatever, maybe you went off course because of a vacation. doesn't mean the plans, you throw the plan out, you just get back on track. But if you have a terrible plan to begin with, and that's relative because it could be amazing for me and terrible for you because we have different goals, different time horizons, whatever it is. But this is still a time, I'm not talking about panic selling. If you do look at your portfolio and say, this is way too much risk. I didn't realize this much risk was in it. And this is not what I want for the next 30 years. That's different. You're evaluating situation. But that efficiency frontier can help you decide if you have something that is basically a bullshit scam. Because if you have two investments that you're looking at and they have the equal amount of upside potential, but one has way more risk, why would you pick that one? And conversely, if two people are pitching you an idea, an investment idea, and they have the same amount of return, but one has like a significantly lower risk, that could easily be a red flag. Again, that's one of the things like if it's too good to be true, and again, that's that's usually means it is. So again, like if something is all the way on the left of the risk side, but all the way high on the return side, to an investment professional, that's too good to be true. Um, but that's unfortunately where a lot of the scams are. And then it's, it's obvious, but that's the one that gets people because it's like, oh, that's, this sounds amazing. The other one usually doesn't where it's like there is a tremendous amount of risk and very little upside. Most people would never take that one. But so that one doesn't get scammed as much, but it's the other one where it's too good to be true. So that's a little bit of a side note. But again, I, I really see not even just crypto, like the world of finance is predatory as shit. So just always be careful. Um, so the efficiency frontier and just understanding that that if it doesn't plot along a logical line of risk and return, then you need to be super cautious. Um, every investment has risk, every single one. Sitting in cash has risk. And we're learning that more than ever as I'm recording this, we're at reported inflation rates at 9.1% reported. I'm sure it's much higher than that. But um, there is no zero risk investment. Even again, cash has inflation risk. Um, so just understand what you're getting into. So that's the first one. Stay the course if you have built a plan. If you've built a plan and it makes sense, that plan, if you did it with a professional and or you know what you're doing, you built it knowing this day was coming or these times were coming. So just stay the course if you built the plan with downsides in mind. Okay, now the second one gets into a little bit of a tax strategy, and that's loss harvesting. So if you 
are in a situation where for whatever reason you've said, okay, I'm going to realize oh, so let me just back up and give you tell you what a loss harvest is. It's when you purposely sell a position that's down because you want to lock in the tax loss. So you're harvesting losses in your portfolio intentionally. Now the the purpose of this is again like eventually if you if the market recovers, if you decide that your plan wasn't any good and now you've pivoted and that new plan over the years is doing very well and now you have gains, you have all these losses to offset those with. And that so when you loss lock in a loss from the IRS perspective, you can match that to a gain forever until you die. Once you die, unfortunately, that's the end of the game. But, um, and that actually does matter if you're married because if the loss is in your name, your spouse can't use it um, other than the year of your death. They had to start going to work. After that, it is lost. Um, but this can be a very good strategy because as you're doing things now, again, you might be pivoting. Maybe you're not investing as heavily because maybe you're investing in the business. So you're not necessarily using the first piece of advice, like buying the dip and really taking advantage of these losses because maybe this is a growth year in your business. So you're like, I'm getting salespeople, I'm getting junior coaches. So I'm not really focusing on my retirement accounts or, or uh, my investment accounts this year. So this could be an option if, you, if you're in something that you didn't like or whatever the case may be. Um, it might be an option to actually sell the position. Now, you might be thinking, perfect, like I'll just sell everything, lock in all the losses, and then buy it all back. Now, that's where you have to just be careful because if you're doing that, you have to wait 30 days. In the stock world and all that, there's what's called a wash sale rule, which basically they thought of this. So they said from a, you have a 30 days on either side, that you can't buy what they call a substantially identical investment before or after that 30-day window. Um, now, talk to a they're, – they're purposely vague about it, but I'll keep it simple. You Again, this is not a rec- recommendation. I'm just using the stock symbol as an example. If you own Apple and it's down and you said, okay, I'm going to sell Apple – lock in this loss because I heard of, I just learned about loss harvesting and then tomorrow I'm going to buy it. And then when it goes back up, um, I'm going to sell it at a gain and offset the loss. Sorry, it doesn't, that would disallow, the IRS will disallow that loss. Now, if you wait 30 days, good to go. Then you, but so you just have to be careful that when you're doing this strategy, you're pivoting to things that are quote unquote, not substantially identical. And that term is vague on purpose. So I'm not going to get into like the details of that, especially because it gets complicated when you're in, in, um, in ETFs, because that can get very gray if you bought an ETF that was similar. Um, so talk to a financial professional if you're, if you're on the fence with your specific one that you're doing. Obviously with stocks, it's simple because you're like, you just don't buy that same company and then you're, you're not violating the rule. When it's ETFs and they're similar type of investment strategies, you might be in a little more of the, the gray area there. But, inv- but tax loss harvesting is a very effective strategy because, again, when all sorts of tax planning, the goal is not to pay less taxes this year. The goal is to pay less taxes over a lifetime. 
So grabbing these losses in 2022 and then who knows, you may not need them for three or four more years, but you might have a huge amount of profit one year, both in your business and in some of your investments for whatever reason, then you all these losses really come back to play. Um, so if you're working with someone who's a tax strategist, this is just another tool in their belt. But it's something from your perspective, if you're DIYing this, it's a strategy that you can utilize so you can proactively take steps. Again, you're not panic selling, you're loss harvesting if you're doing it on purpose because you know what you're doing, you're not just panicking. Um, so there's some advantages there. Now, if you're a crypto person, this is great news because the wash sale rule does not exist in your world. So everything we just discussed with the tax, or sorry, with the stock stuff, you can have at it. You can sell something today and 10 minutes later, buy it back and you just locked in the loss and now you're holding the position again, and if it skyrockets up, you can offset that loss with that new gain. So that's a cool feature of crypto that does not exist in the stock market. Stock market, you have to wait 30 days to avoid that wash sale rule. So if you're going to do tax loss harvesting, and if you're going to buy something completely different, have at it, you can DIY that. But if you are worried you're going to run into some issues, just consult with a financial advisor. Um, now, when it comes to the, the tax loss harvesting rule, even though I often don't give credit to investment advisors, who again, I think they just really hyper-focus on investments, they might be able to help you here because this is something that's a little more in their purview. Uh, the strategy that I'm going to get into next, uh, I'll throw them under the bus again. <laughs> so, um, But number two was tax loss harvesting. Again, specifically looking at areas of your portfolio that maybe you're not in love with anymore. You're maybe thinking of selling it anyway for whatever reason, or it's not congruent with your plan. If multiple things aren't congruent with your plan, the ones with the losses might be where you start because, again, you're, you're harvesting these losses or there might be gains that you're matching it with. Again, this is this is part of what you do at the end of the year from a tax planning strategy is like looking at if there's places you can take gains, if you can match losses to those. Like You're doing this strategically at the end of the year, even in good markets. But this is the type of planning that you do in down markets too because – when you have those end of year discussions with your tax team and your financial team, um, I, again, I highly recommend, even if you never work with my firm, your accountant, your tax team, if, you, if your accountant and your tax advisor are separate, which is common, and your financial person, if they're just doing investment for you, they're, if they're different, they should all be talking to each other, at least in this realm. Um, again, that's one of the reasons I highly recommend and why my firm focuses on this team approach, because it, it all inter uh, interweaves with each other. I don't know if that's a term, but it all weaves together because you can't just have your investment strategy without your tax strategy because they're impacting each other. So here's the third one, and that's a Roth conversion. So this is where you're. we're talking now, not just regular brokerage accounts. We're talking about your retirement accounts. So I'll, I'll emphasize again, like the, the rule of thumb has always been like put all your money into pre-tax retirement accounts, like IRAs, traditional 401ks, all these ones where you get a tax deduction today and then in retirement, you pull it out and in theory, you're in a lower tax bracket. That could be true for a lot of people. Um, but the purpose that I want to emphasize is, especially for younger people, using retirement accounts should not feel like the handcuffs that 
I think our the older generation tends to make it sound like, or maybe even some people who don't work with financial professionals like uses a negative on the, that type of strategy, like using retirement accounts. But there's a lot of flexibility in retirement accounts. But this is one of the things, like, because there's going to be ebbs and flows of your life that you're going to have a lot of income and then lower income. And again, that could be because your business, not because it's doing poorly, but it actually could be because it's doing well. Like if you go in through a growth phase, you might be reinvesting most of your profits in in a one year or another. And then that dramatically reduces your tax bracket. And that might be an opportunity where your tax team would say, hey, you know, you're you dropped like 10% in terms of your federal tax rate. Maybe this year we do a Roth conversion and push some of those dollars that we pulled out into a post-tax world and let it, you know, grow. And when you pull it back out, you're at another, you're at a high tax bracket again. So that's the type of strategy. Again, you're, you're trying to get a less tax bill over a lifetime. But in these types of scenarios where we're talking the market being down like 20% or so, you might have an opportunity where just to use like simple math, if you had, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in your portfolio and now you only have 80 because the market dropped 20%. If you were to convert at the beginning of the year, a hundred, you pay taxes on a hundred thousand dollars. Now, if you look at it and you're like, I, if I do a Roth conversion of 80,000, you just took $20,000 and it is basically avoided like legal tax avoidance on 20,000. And then it's in your Roth IRA. And if it recovers and grows and continues on for the next 20, 30, 40 years, you've avoided that taxation on that 20,000 and the growth on that 20,000. So that's another strategy I think it's overlooked. And the reason it often gets overlooked is because most investment firms, like the big ones, are prohibited from giving tax advice, which might sound counterintuitive because they're so big and you they have all the resources, but it's a regulatory compliance issue. They don't know because tax expertise is not something that everybody has. So in the financial world, I should say, um, I would like to think it's a re- it should be a requirement if you're going to work with small business owners like I do. But um, I had to specifically seek it out. When I went through the, the traditional course of learning all the financial planning, um, they do not go deeply into the, the tax side for business owners. And that's fine because most people are dealing with retirees. And I mean, there's so many different areas of finance to focus on. But for that reason, firms that have literally thousands of advisors, they can't be responsible to know who knows what. And quite frankly, most of them aren't even CFPs, which is a certified financial planner. So a lot of them, like I talked about before, like you're walking in and talking to a, a sales rep that passed passed like a six-week exam. It's kind of bullshit. I shouldn't say kind of. It's complete bullshit. Like they, you sit down and try to give your net worth to a guy or girl that's literally sat down for a few months worth of courses and learned the difference between a stock and a mutual fund. I'm not even kidding. Um, so... That's the reason that a lot of the really big firms like that, you know, that have the commercials that (laughs) have their name on stadiums, often they can't give tax advice. So they're probably not coming to you saying, hey, like your IRA is down, you know, your IRA is down 50 grand this year because of the stock market has pulled back. 
let's convert some of that from your traditional IRA to your Roth IRA. They probably are not legally allowed to give you that advice and or run the scenario where that's that's exactly what you need to do. You need to sit down and this is part of tax planning. You need to sit down and say to yourself, all right, how much profit do I have in my business? What's my tax liability going to be if I do nothing? You know, based on what my business is doing, what all the other taxable income I have, what's my tax bill? What's my tax bracket for that? And then you run a scenario where, all right, and that again, we said you had a $100,000 portfolio, now it's worth 80. So you basically run the math and say, okay, well, what's the projection, the tax projection, if I add another $80,000 worth of income to my tax liability and did a Roth conversion? Now, if you're not familiar with Roth conversions, again, the myth is that they're for retirees because they're very popular for retirees because there is a lot of people that, you know, like a lawyer, for instance, that does, you know, they're making four or $500,000 a year to hit retirement. And maybe now they're legitimately making only like 100 or 150 or whatever it is. So they might have, in that scenario, the Roth conversions are going to be their best friend because now they're in lower tax brackets. But again, they get overlooked for younger people like you because there's a ton of opportunities when either the business has, is having a tough time or you're investing in the business so you have very little profit to start shifting things. Like again, when, you're, when your business is having an amazing year, maybe you do want to utilize all the pre-tax deductions. And then wait for that year when you hired five people on your team and your income dropped significantly. So that's what you need to do is run that projection of, all right, if I have an extra $80,000 worth of taxable income, because again, you, you don't see it necessarily because it's being converted. So it goes from one retirement account to another. It's not like you pocketed that 80K. So how you get the money for the conversion is a different topic for another day, but Basically, you can either, I shouldn't say for another day, I'll say now, like you can roll all of it and pay the tax out of pocket, or you can roll a portion of it and then um, withhold some of it to the IRS. Those are the two options you get. But in theory, you should look to put your own cash to work to do it, because I'm not a big fan of depleting the amount that goes into the Roth account. Because in my opinion, if you get that money in and it makes sense from a tax perspective, that's, that's the home run, because now you never pay taxes again. Um, especially if you're young and that money's going to sit there for decades, literally decades, like five, six, seven decades, if you're in your twenties or thirties. Um, cause a lot of times the Roth money is the last money you touch. So that thing is going to be really benefiting from compounding interest over 60, 70 years. But that's the something you should really look at. And again, the Roth convergence is purposely number three, because I want to emphasize it at the end. If you don't take anything out of this podcast, it's that, that for young people, when the market is down and you're like, God, Jesus Christ, like this is painful. Like my 401k is down, all this stuff. Look at opportunities to convert that money into a post-tax world. Again, you're making, trying to make lemonade out of the lemons that the market's pulled back. So, and again, I, I can't emphasize enough. People are likely not going to bring that strategy up for you because your accountant probably isn't bringing it up on their own because they're not looking at your investments um, especially retirement accounts because they don't generate the reports like your taxable accounts do. Like if you have a, an IRA, it's not sending a report to your tax advisor. Um, so having someone who's looking at all of this is, is very valuable because when your IRAs are down and these investment portfolios are down, this is a proactive thing you can do, especially because sometimes people say, I, like, especially where, as I'm recording this, a lot of people are looking out there at the economy as a whole and like, where do I put my money? Crypto's down, stock market's down. 
people are at the real estate market still up. So like, where do I put my money? Sometimes the answer is, well, if you got this cash burning a hole in your pocket, because obviously inflation's horrible right now, maybe the answer is paying that tax liability in 2022. And obviously you're sending that cash off to the IRS to get money to an account. You'll never pay taxes on it again. So you're fronting the IRS money like 60 years in advance or whatever the case may be. So those are the three that that I would look at. So let me recap them for you. First one really is, is stay the course. If you built a plan, stay the course of that plan. Again, if you, sorry, let me step back. If you build a plan with these times in mind, which again, a, a certified financial planner or any true professional financial person is going to build a plan with the risks in mind. You know, they're, not, they're never going to know what the specifics of the next downturn is because no one has that crystal ball. But we know there it's only a matter of time. We just don't necessarily like know what the triggers will be. The second one, tax loss harvesting. If you're going to make changes to things, strategically, could you lock in some losses? Third, could you take a retirement account like a traditional IRA that's down 20, 30%, whatever it is, and move those dollars to a Roth IRA where they can recover? So, and then in that 20, 30% that's down, you're legally avoiding taxes on that money because it's, it's based on the values when you convert. So those are three strategies that I would highly recommend other than panicking and just selling and aborting all the plans that, that you have. And maybe you don't have a plan, but this is something you could look at. And again, if you don't have a plan, um, I would recommend that taking this time to build one. You can do that yourself if you know what you're doing or if you want to learn on your own. Again, this is not a pitch to work with me. But if you do want someone to help you and you're a fitness professional, again, this is who we specialize in. And you want to build a long-term strategy that incorporates like the business profits. There's a link in my show notes uh, called Map My Money. And that's something that you can do. You can go in there and start building like your bank accounts and like seeing how all the money flows in your life. And then we can sit down and basically map out how the money can flow from your business to your personal life, your personal expenses, your personal taxes, and then what your what are all the different accounts you're going to feed? You know, you're feeding your retirement accounts, you're feeding your uh, short term accounts for buying real estate, whatever the case may be. Um, this might be the, the opportunity to really get organized as things are top of mind. Like maybe you do want to get a little more conservative with your personal spending and make sure you have budgets in place. We can help with all of that. Um, getting organized, running risk profiles on your current portfolios to show you like, you know, you obviously you might have seen firsthand the risk, but seeing where you can make strategic changes to maybe reduce that risk or to just thoroughly understand what to expect so that you don't make decisions based on emotion and you're basing them on the facts that are available, which basically just the math. There's no crystal ball. It's just math on historic averages. So um, hopefully that would be helpful. Again, I'm, I really want the purpose of this podcast today to get people to focus on the plan, not the emotions of like what's happening today. Because realistically, when things go poorly like this, like Warren Buffett is a great example. Like if you can get, what's the term he says? When people are fearful, be greedy. When people are greedy, be fearful. Right now, people are fearful. So this might be the time where you put your plan together. 
doesn't matter what it is. Like, I'm pretty agnostic to what, if you're going to make your business bigger now, if you're going to emphasize your retirement accounts now that you see the market has, is giving some discounts, whatever it is, but build your plan. If you need help building a plan, I love this, this nerdy stuff. So reach out to me again, my Instagram at the Pat Darby. If you just want a, a free resource to get started, click on the link in the show notes to map my money. Um, and again, anything that that might be a little confusing that we talked about today, um, you can go back to episode 37, which talks about how to consider your allocations. And those podcasts, that entire series on like what is a financial plan is episode 30, sorry, 33 is where it starts. 33 all the way through 38 talks all about the financial planning process from start to finish. Um, so uh, I think all those resources will be helpful. But as always, I hope this has been really valuable. Please share it with a friend if it has been. Um, want to do my best to get people to make prudent decisions with their money, not panic emotional decisions. So, all right, everybody, have a great day. Thank you for joining us this week on Build Your Wealth Muscle. The links mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes. For video clips and more information on tax and retirement strategies for fitness entrepreneurs, please follow my Instagram at the Pat Darby. If you found value in this episode, please do us a favor and share with a friend. If you tag me, that'd be appreciated also. Lastly, for help implementing any of the topics discussed, please book a call. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.